Welcome back to DC EKG. This is Joe Grogan, joined as usual with our, uh, Eric Euland. We've got a great guest today in Charlie Hooper, a uh, founder of Objective Insights, a consulting firm. Charlie's been a pharmaceutical consultant for almost 30 years and re- recently wrote a great book about the FDA, Should the FG- FDA Reject Itself, which uh, for anybody interested in FDA uh, and how we regulate drugs and devices. It's a fascinating read. I've worked at FDA and, uh, you know, would say I know a fair amount about the agency, but I still learn stuff, even even details of stories that are part of the lore of FDA. I thought it was a great, a great read. We're going to talk today about the uh, misnamed Inflation Reduction Act uh, and Charlie's book. I don't know, Eric, if you want to start us off by giving us a little bit of overview of how the Democrats have really upset the life sciences industry with a partisan bill that they passed at the end of this past summer. Sure, Joe. Thank you very much. And yes, earlier this year, this summer, Democrats rushed to actually write and pass a piece of legislation, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. That was done under a fast-track process in Congress, which restricts the amount of time, the number of amendments, the ability to filibuster, and ultimately speeds a piece of legislation through into the president's desk. So it can sometimes take months in order to sort out and figure out what's actually in a so-called reconciliation bill. Tucked inside this bill was a provision that mandated the Secretary of Health and Human Services to begin negotiating drug prices for pharmaceutical companies in the next few years, starting in 2026. Starting with a small number of drugs, 10, moving to 15 a year, and then ultimately 20 a year by the end of the decade, 2029. So as people begin to unpack this provision and begin to understand how it works, folks like Charlie Hooper have taken a close look at this, and it isn't all it's cracked up to be. The Democrats and the Biden administration have portrayed this as a way to bring down the cost of prescription drugs, but it turns out there are a lot of significant trade-offs inside this provision, this package of prescription drug-mandated negotiations, something we should talk about here today. Great. So let's, Charlie, you even wrote an uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal not too long ago in which you laid out some of your concerns associated with the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's start there. I, you know, I'll, I'll say this, the more I've studied it after it's been passed, the worse it looks to me. Um, and the more I talk to companies, the more horrified and freaked out they are. And I think part of that is a function of, as, as Eric said, it didn't, it, this was, did not take a multitude of years it was not a product of bipartisan negotiation. It did not get a lot of media attention onto its details. So when you look at it, uh, do you, could you describe a little bit about what your ingoing concerns and maybe as you've continued to evaluate it, what you're seeing and, and what's got you alarmed and what Americans should be worried about? Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, I understand why people are frustrated with the healthcare system and costs and and drugs are part of that. So, you know, some frustration is is justified. But I, I think most people misunderstand the the role of drugs in, in our healthcare system. They're a very small percentage of the cost. And actually they haven't been uh the, the prices haven't been going up much in recent years. And the other thing is there's a lot of research that's shown that drugs reduce mor- morbidity, mortality, and actually lower healthcare costs. And so, uh, you know, they're kind of the cavalry rushing in to, to help us. And 
if you if you you know put up red lights that the cavalry has to just to go through to to help us um it, it's just gonna it's gonna lower or reduce the number of new drugs that uh, drug companies develop that's going to reduce our morbidity and mortality and so therefore um we're actually going to do worse with a bill like this that americans are going to um they're going to suffer basically so charlie what so eric says you know um rightly it starts with 10 it goes to 15 uh then 50 it gets additive each year uh once this thing starts to kick and you get to 200 drugs and the Democrats have said we finally get to negotiate on, on for the American people to bring drug prices down. Now, as you accurately state, um, net drug prices have been incredibly stable and have been below the inflation rate for a while. Now, uh, fair, it's it's a true statement that for many people going to fill prescriptions, the copays can be a lot. But as far as the drug prices uh, uh, specifically, is it fair to call this bill uh, actually negotiation or is it is it really confiscation or price fixing or how would you describe it? Well, um, first of all, most or basically almost all drugs that go through Medicare right now are negotiated. The prices are negotiated. And that's because most drugs go through either the Medicare Part D program, which is the, um, you know, the uh, outpatient prescription plan. And all of those drug prices were negotiated. And when Part D first came around, um, it was actually uh, people were surprised at, at how um, how low the the prices were negotiated. And then another area in Medicare where prices are, are negotiated is the Medicare Advantage plans, which are basically like a normal, um, you know, managed care plan. So it's really only Part D, which is drugs administered, you know, within the hospital system. Uh, that the prices aren't negotiated. So, so the prices are already negotiated, and and most patients don't pay that. Um, well, most patients don't pay the full price, and they don't even pay the negotiated price. They're paying, you know, some fraction of it as their their copay or um, you know percentage of the price. But what happens with um, the Inflation Reduction Act is it's it's not really negotiation negotiation at all. It's really kind of something that would come out of the Godfather. It's you know this is the price you're going to charge us, or else we're going to take up to ninety five percent of your revenue uh, for this product that goes through Medicare. Um, so you know the, the drug companies really have no control over this at all. It's it's being foisted upon them. And Charlie, for those who are, are trying to understand how this actually works, as you said, Joe, Joe, Joe outlined, you start with 10 drugs. What drugs actually are pulled into this negotiating system? Is it done by cost to consumers? Is it done by, is it calibrated that drugs for whom the cost is the most borne by Medicare are supposed to be negotiated? What actual drugs are going to be part of this so-called negotiation program? Well, um, CMS, um, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, or is it Medicare and Medicaid Services, um, is going to negotiate drugs based on the revenues that go through Medicare. And so it's going to be basically the successful drugs. And so 
a, a drug that had a low price but was sold to a lot of people, it's going to maybe have the same revenues as a drug that's high price but sold to a few people. And so both of those drugs would be eligible for negotiation. And so it's really not going after high price drugs at all. It's just going after successful drugs. And most drugs are not successful. So first of all, in, in the R&D process, most drugs don't make it through the process. And then most drugs are not approved by the FDA. And then even those drugs that are approved, most of them don't, they aren't, they aren't successful and they don't make money. So, um, you know, it's the 80-20 rule that 80% um, of the revenues come from 20% of the drugs, for example. And so Medicare is going to be going after the most successful drugs, however they got there, whether it's high price or they're, you know, Volume. successful and widely used. The and then as you go through this negotiation process, we talk about the confiscatory aspect of this, this 95% tax diktat on the companies. But if the price actually, courtesy of a government-run price-setting scheme and negotiation is actually set, where is that reflected at all in this legislation for consumers? How is this supposed to work for people who actually purchase prescription drugs, either by benefiting uh, being part of Medicare Part B or Part D? Yeah, so first of all, this won't affect directly anybody who's outside of Medicare. Um, but So that's the, the a huge biggest... cohort of prescription drug consumers, patients. Okay, so we yes. have a smaller subset, still tens of millions, but still a smaller subset of Americans who use prescription drugs every day. But then for that subset of uh, prescription drug users, users in the Part B or Part D program, are they actually getting their costs directly lowered as a result of this negotiation scheme? Well, not really. Um, and that's because they pay a percentage of the price or a copay or you know, directly a copay. So the, the biggest change that um, consumers, patients will notice from this inflation, so so-called Inflation Reduction Act, is actually the change in the way that um, the Part D plans are structured. So before there was a deductible phase where the, the patient paid 100%. And then they went through they had 100% um, of the drug prescription drug cost out of their own pocket. Right. Okay. Yeah. Of the negotiated price. Um, and and then and then they would go through a, a period where they paid 25%. And then they they went in the donut hole where they um well, this has changed over time. Um and and then and then they would go into the uh, catastrophic phase where they paid five percent. But now that's changed so that the, the donut hole's gone, gone away. Um, and so basically patients will be paying less just because of the change in the um, the, the, the Part D payment structure. So so most people won't even notice this, this change um, due to the negotiation of the price. It's really just a change in the structure of the, of the copay. You, you touched, Charlie, a little bit about this uh, change in the catastrophic phase. Let's talk about this for a second. So it used to be $7,000 was the threshold to get into the catastrophic phase. And above that, you only paid 5%. So $7,000 of out-of-pocket drugs. Right, costs. exactly. So if you right. paid $7,000, that's a pretty sick uh, individual, $7,000 out of pocket, 
they've they're taking a lot of drugs, they're pretty ill. So even above that seven thousand dollar phase, you get to a hundred thousand, you're still paying five percent of the that fare and uh, of that share. Now, AARP and a lot of advocates for seniors said that that that's not a true catastrophic benefit. We need to make it so that seniors at some point pay nothing. They're so sick that uh, they're not, you know, they, they're not making rational decisions. They're trying to save lives, their life. They need some relief. So, and this was something that President Trump believed too and some of the proposals that he put forward on how to structure Part D, that at some point, senior, the bite was so bad out of seniors that uh, they shouldn't have to pay anything. Now, but now the threshold's been moved down to $2,000, and there's no cost saving, cost sharing for anybody in Medicare above two thousand dollars. Now, on its face, that sounds really good, but I just want to ask you two things about from your experience. One is ninety percent of Part D prescriptions right now are generics, and that has kept the cost of this program way down. Generic drugs, of course, they come on the market; uh, they're copies of the innovators. They come on after the innovators have hopefully made their money off the product. And the generic drug gets six months of exclusivity where the only competitor to the innovator. And that's where they make the bulk of their money. That's the motivation for them to come on the market uh, originally. But there's this new negotiation uh, process. And that six-month motivation is gone. And the motivation on the part of the physicians to prescribe generics because the seniors don't have to pay anything over $2,000 is somewhat diminished. Is it obliterated? Do you think doctors are still going to be saying to seniors, hey, listen, here's a cheaper generic. It's January, it's February. Uh, Take the generic anyway, it's cheaper. Or will they just say, hey, you know, you can afford $2,000. Let's get you through through this phase, to the catastrophic phase, and we're going to write you the more expensive innovator. Do you see a situation where this actually drives drug prices up is what I'm trying to get to? Yeah, so with your second point about um, reducing the incentives to save money, you know, with the generic, um, it, it definitely would reduce the incentives of the physician and the patient to save money with the generic. But a lot of generic prescribing is done at the pharmacy level and it's mandated. So if a generic is available, um, the pharmacist is encouraged or required to use it. But I think, um, Joe, that you raised a really good point before that, which is that generic companies. So one of the reasons that our healthcare system is so successful right now is because we have, I think it's 91% of all prescriptions are filled with the generic. And and as you mentioned, there's a huge incentive for those that first or the second or third generic company to come out. And the first one gets a six month exclusivity. And that's because they know that the, the innovative uh, company is not going to reduce the price of that of that drug before the generic comes out. And so the generic only has to show that it's less than the price of the brand name drug. But if that brand name drug is negotiated through CMS and the price comes down, um, at least in, in that segment of the market, the, the incentive goes away. So you know, it, let's just say that the brand name drug is $100 and the generic comes in at, say, 60 and then it's going to lower its price over time. Now, if the if the brand name drug is $20 or $30, that generic doesn't have that room to, to work with. And so 
it could be a huge disincentive for uh, generic companies to bring out drugs, um, both for small molecules, you know, typical kind of classical generics, and then also uh, biosimilars for biologics. And and so whenever you know the, the healthcare system is is a complicated uh, system, and so when when Congress passes a bill like this. There could be a lot of unintended consequences because you have to think through the implications of, of every part of this bill. And so this actually could lead to higher drug prices. Um, and, and and it's more than that. Um, you know, so so right now in Medicare Part D and in um, the Medicare Advantage plans, drugs are heavily discounted. And that's another reason that drug prices haven't gone up much over time is is the the the, the discounting with the pharmacy benefit managers, um, you know, the wholesalers, um, the managed care companies is, is so extreme that even if the the, uh, the catalog price of the of the brand name products has gone up over time, the the net price has gone down because that's the discounted price. Um, drug companies going to have less incentive now, perhaps, to negotiate upfront with the uh, Part D and, and Medicare Advantage plans because they know they're going to get hammered down the road. And so um, I could see a cutback on discounting in the near term as, as companies try to adapt to uh, the provisions of this law. And that'd be another way that prices would go up. I think here's a great moment to pause while we kind of consider one of these significant trade-offs and then come back and talk about additional challenges that this prescription drug negotiation plan creates. Great. We'll be right back. 